The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. All right, this morning, uh, as you can see on that monitor, we're going to begin a new series starting today talking about reviving us, O Lord. And, uh, and I say that, a new series, Lord, help me not to be in love with some series of messages. Uh, my heart's desire is that God really will revive his people uh, in this day. Uh, we just spent some considerable amount of time seeking the Lord together in uh, prayer during this Pentecost prayer time. And uh, I, I will say to you, it was just so fruitful in so many ways. Just want to praise the Lord for so many people that have intentionally sought the Lord together. Uh, so this morning, here, here, here's, here's the plan, uh, because we got about eight or so weeks that we're going to be in this theme, uh, but, but this morning I really want to, and it's probably overloaded with scripture, so if you make notes, make some notes here, the biblical foundation for experiencing revival. And so if you will, open your Bibles to Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, verse 7 through 18. So in the Old Testament, we're going to see this pattern of sin, discipline, and restoration. Uh, we're going to see this theme, not just in this passage of Scripture, but all throughout this, the whole Old Testament. We're going to read all that today, but you'll see the pattern here so beautifully presented in Judges chapter 2. And, and it's important for us to understand there is a pattern in Scripture for experiencing God's renewal and revival, coming back to Him, uh, and we'll, we'll see other uh, uh, places as well in just a moment. But we need to acknowledge at the very least that God's people tend to depart from the Lord at times and need to be revived. I mean, you can't revive something that was never alive. Does that make sense? In other words, I'm not talking about some decision. I'm talking about somebody that knows Christ personally as their Lord and Savior, that you have come unto the Jesus, come through the blood of Christ, that you have just what we just sang, decided to follow Christ. You made that faith decision Yet there are seasons in our life when we tend to drift away. And, and this is not something new today. This is a pattern throughout Scripture. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 7 through 18, we see this pattern of God's people that get brought into sin. God disciplines them, but then He restores them as well. So there's several things here. Number one is this. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua... And of the elders who outlived him, who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. First and foremost, we need to acknowledge that God's people served him. In other words, the, the scripture says here that through the lifetime of Joshua, that the people saw the great things that the Lord did for them, and they served the Lord faithfully. All right? Number two is this. Look at verse 10 and 11 in this passage of scripture. In verse 10, the Bible says that after that, after Joshua, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, that means they'd passed away, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals. That was the Canaanite God. In other words, they gave themselves over to immorality and idolatry. But I want you to see this because the pattern is clear. People serve the Lord, but then also the people, not long after Joshua and all that generation left, the next generation rose up that did not know the Lord. I mean, this should give us some uh, concern in our day today. It only takes one generation away for God's people to depart. We can't live on yesterday's 
movements of what God did in our life and in the life of God's people. And we see this in the nation of Israel. The Hebrew people turned away from the Lord just one generation away. And not only did they turn away, but they gave themselves to idolatry, immorality. It says the Canaanite, uh, the Baals, meaning the Canaanite gods, the gods of the people around them. They, in other words, instead of influencing others, they were influenced by the pagan idolatry around them. Now, here's where it gets a little sobering right here in reality. Uh, look with me in verse 14 and 15. Now, I don't know, I don't know what you're, but I'm reading out the NIV here. The Bible says in verse 14, in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Number three is this, God defeated them through their enemies. In other words, the people of God had served them faithfully, but then they forsook the Lord and turned over to idolatry, the Canaanite, the Baals. And then all of a sudden, God brings defeat through their enemies. He brings judgment to the people of God. We see this so well here. I don't know what you think about, because sometimes in our, in our understanding or in our theology, we think God is love, and He absolutely is. He's compassionate, slow to anger. You see the verses above me. It's the theme throughout Scripture. But make no mistake, when God's people depart from the Lord, God rains down conviction in the hearts of God's children. He confronts them in their idolatry. He, he comes against them. It says in the scripture, they went out to do their business. They went out to, to battle. The Lord's hand was not on them anymore. In fact, he turned it around and defeated them by the hands of their enemy. He brought judgment to the people of Israel. Friend, I'll say this to us. When we, when we talk about a biblical foundation for, for experiencing God's revival, we need to acknowledge that God is not pleased with His people turn away from Him. And when we fill our lives with other things other than the things of the Lord, or worse, that we give our hearts to idols, or to idolatry, or pagan, even in, in this world we live today. So we see in the Scripture here that God was not pleased with His people and he comes against them in his anger. It's a righteous anger. He is displeased with God's, with his own people that have turned away from him. So he brings down judgment upon them. Now, friend, I, I don't know what your theology tells you today, but friend, I can tell you straight up, if you're a child of God and you choose to just do whatever you want to in this life, God will let you run for a little while, but I'm telling you, he's going to confront you in whatever you're doing. If he doesn't confront you and convict you of your sin, then he's got to apologize to the nation of Israel. And to every other Christian ever since then. And that might give you an indication that maybe you don't know him personally as your Lord and Savior. If you can do whatever you want in this world and act like it's not a big deal and it doesn't bother you, something's wrong in your theology and in your relationship with God. So God is holy and pure and righteous and all that beautiful. He is totally other. His ways are not our ways by no means. But one thing's for sure, God is not pleased with his people that depart from him. And God is very concerned about it. Now listen, I want to tell you, He's slow to anger and He's full of compassion for sure. Why does He convict us of sin? Why does He rain down judgment in the house of the Lord? So that God's people will turn back to Him, the one true living God. The things of this world will leave you strangely dim. They'll leave you fleeting. They'll leave you uh, empty on the inside. And He knows that. And so even here we see in the passage, God's people diverted. They departed from Him. So He rains down judgment. For the whole purpose of them to get, as it says at the end of verse 15, they were in great 
distress of life. Uh, their, their army was not what it was. They, they, the, the provisions were not what it was. The enemies that were coming against them were ransacking them. They were suffering defeat all around. They were struggling as a people and as a nation. In fact, the Bible says they were in great distress. So God judges them to bring them to this point of distress in their life. Now look with me in verse 16 and 18. The Lord hears their distress. In verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them unlike their fathers. They quickly turned away from the Lord in which their fathers had walked. The way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with them. The judge would save them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under their, those who had oppressed and afflicted them. So you see, in response to their distress, God shows compassion. He raises up judges. All throughout the book of Judges, we see where God raised up a judge to save them, to deliver them from the hands of their enemies. So we see, even in the midst of judgment, God's compassionate towards His people. We see this pattern over and over and over again. Uh, it becomes a theme in the nation of Israel. I mean, you see the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah weeps over God's people that quickly depart from the one true living God. They build cisterns that don't hold water, Jeremiah says. They look for living water, but they have no living water. They try to make their own living water, but it doesn't satisfy. So we see this pattern. God's people serve the Lord, but then they forsake Him, and God defeats them, brings judgment. The people are in distress. They cry out, and then God has compassion on them and delivers them. It's important for us to understand when we talk about a biblical foundation is why do we even talk about revival in the land? Why do we talk about revival among the people of God today? Well, because in Scripture, there's a pattern that God's people depart from the Lord. We see this even in Genesis. You go back to the garden and Adam and Eve. I mean, how beautiful that must have been to walk with the Lord and all the provision that they had. Yet, even in that most beautiful place, they departed from the Lord. And there were consequences of that. I mean, right, we understand that. But we also see God's compassion. He clothed them with skin. He, there was a, even in, in that moment in the garden, there was a sacrifice. Blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Even that was a foreshadowing of what would come. The Lamb of God, John the Baptist says, who's going to uh, be slain for the sins of the world. But even in Genesis, we see this pattern of, of God's people tend to depart. Now, some people would argue and say, well, we don't see a whole lot of that in the New Testament. You know, when God, when Jesus raises, rises from the dead and the Holy Spirit begins to fall upon the church, what we read in the New Testament, quite honestly, is a lot of just awakening and revival one after another. Read the book of Acts. It's just a beautiful... Now, now there, there, there's persecution, not from the Lord, but from the world in which they're given witness of the Lord too. But even in the midst of severe persecution, God is just richly blessing. And you see God's people just continue to be renewed day by day, life by life. But, but friend, look, and we're going to get there next week in Revelation chapter 2. We've been in 1 John. If you've been with me on Wednesday night in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle John spoke. He's one In the late first century, he begins to be burdened because God's people, yes, even a generation away from the resurrection of Christ, began to depart from the Lord. 
And so he brings that word, the angel of the Lord gives him that word to speak to the churches there in Asia Minor. We're going to get to that. My point is this, we see the pattern over and over and over again. It leads me to think, Lord, help us. I mean, God, help us. Set us free. I don't ever want to depart from you ever again. Right? But thanks be to God that he's kind and compassionate, that, one, that every time we cry out to God for forgiveness, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's a pattern in Scripture that we need to acknowledge. And, and quite honestly, even, I mean, in other words, if we're going to experience revival today, a renewed heart before the Lord, we need to acknowledge, you know what, this has happened before, but there's a plan, there's a purpose, and there's a provision for that renewing and, and, and revival before God, that heart that is renewed. So anyway, so I, I, want, I want to acknowledge this at the very beginning of this little series. As much as I would say to us here today, I believe God, we're in need to experience God's provision, personal application, that the Holy Spirit would be refreshed, renewed in our hearts. I mean, we can go on and on and on. It has burdened my heart that God's people, me, I mean, as a child of God, would know Him personally and the power of His resurrection. That's what Paul's cry was in the book of Philippians. Over and over again, God's people have this desire, I think, by God to know Him, to walk with Him, to commune with Him. And God wants us to be in that way as well today. Now, I guess some of you might argue with me and say, well, Jay, I don't know if we're, we're really in need of revival today. I mean, some of y'all might sit here and say to me, well, you know, we live in the land of plenty. I mean, good night. We're making more money today than we've ever made in our lives. Someone told me in some study there's more millionaires today than there's ever been in the history of the United States. And you might say, well, good night. We're, we're doing great. I mean, look, man, we're so blessed. I mean, talk about, I'm talking about you now. I'm, I'm not talking theoretically. I'm talking about me and you. Look around you. We're so blessed. And yet I, I would have to submit to you, my heart yearns for personal worship, intimacy with our Heavenly Father. My heart yearns for that, for not just for my family, but for your family. My, my heart's prayer is that we would know Him personally in the power of His resurrection today. That doesn't mean life's going to be easy. That doesn't mean God's going to call you to be a missionary to Africa. I understand that. But it does mean that we're going to walk with Him in a manner that's just beautiful and intimate and worthy of the calling we received in Christ Jesus. But we have to, at the very beginning of this, acknowledge that, you know, it is possible for God's people to depart from the Lord. It is possible. If we don't at least begin there, then we have no biblical foundation to even acknowledge there might be a revival one day in this land, in our hearts, or even here at Flint Hill. Let me get real personal there. So, so let, me, let, me just, let me just move on from that. There's a pattern clearly in Scripture, but there's also prayers. Take your Bible, if you will. I know this is going to be a little Bible drill time. Turn to, turn to the book of Habakkuk. That's a fun book to say, Habakkuk, isn't it? Turn to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, chapter 3. Let me get there. Hold on, where is it? It's in here somewhere. All right, wait a minute, hold on now. Now I'm in Daniel, wait a minute. Oh, there it is. Habakkuk, chapter 3. Habakkuk's a prophet, I mean, and he's crying out to the Lord. And here's, here's the word of the Lord to the uh, prophet Habakkuk. He says this in verse 2, Lord, I've heard of your fame. And I stand in all of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. 
And in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. He cries out to the Lord. I mean, it's a simple prayer that Habakkuk cries out to the Lord. He says, God, I want you to renew in our day today what I've heard that you do, did yesterday and the days before. Friend, let me remind you that even in this nation, there have been times where we have experienced God's movement in, in powerful ways. I mean, I'm talking about, we talk about the great awakenings. We talk about the movements of the Lord. Maybe you personally have experienced the movement of God in your life. I can remember personally, years ago, on this side of town in western Birmingham, experienced the movement of God. Being a part of that, just a small little sliver of that, right? I'll be honest with you, I, my heart's cry today is almost like Habakkuk. God, I've heard, of, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. I know what you've done in the past, but Lord, would you do it today? Is there not still today the day that we can call upon the Lord and, and, and know and experience Him personally? Psalm 139, verse 23. You got your Bibles. You can flip there. I know some of y'all got them digital Bibles. There you go. Psalm 139, verse 23, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way ever, ever everlasting. Again, another prayer in God's Word. Friend, I would submit to you that God has given us these prayers in His Word because there's a need for God's people to cry out to Him for renewal, for revival, for an awakening, for a sense of being revitalized before Him in our walk with Him. There are so many promises in God's Word if you got your Bible to Isaiah 55, it's a beautiful scripture, a whole chapter here. It starts off, come, here's the, 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 the prophet says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. He goes on to say, listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will find delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, he says, the Lord. Hear me, here it is, that your soul may live. I have to, why is it there? Why does God give us this word from Isaiah? You can say, well, it's for his day. Yes, but even more so. Did Jesus not say the same words? Come to me. Come, the Lord says, all you who are thirsty, and I'll give you living water. This beautiful, never-ending supply. At some point, somewhere, we have to acknowledge, right? We have to acknowledge that not only is there a pattern for need for revival, prayers in the Scriptures, but there's also promises that God's given us in Isaiah. And I'm going to go through these. I'll go ahead and list them up. They're all up there. I want to turn to Malachi. I know, I'm not going to read all of them for time's sake, but that's okay, you can read those. In Malachi, again, the prophet comes before the Lord. God gives him this word to the people of Israel. And he makes this statement here in verses 6 and 7. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. Can we just stop and praise the Lord? God doesn't change. Friend, if you're here today and you need a fresh newness in your walk with the Lord, friend, God is ready and willing and able. If you'll repent and turn to Him, He does not change. He has promised in His Word that He would come. That it, here it is. Listen to this. Verse 7, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from me and my decrees and have not kept them. He, say, he makes this statement. He goes on, return to me, and I will return to you. Friend, God has promised. He is faithful to God be the glory. That if we will return to him, he will turn to us. That we can know this times of refreshing. Let, let, me, let me just take us to Acts chapter 3. Because I love, I love in the book of Acts, where we see in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, 
Here it is. The Word of God says, Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Friend, these are promises. It's not just for the day in the first century, but in the 21st century. We can know Him personally. We can be refreshed and renewed in our walk with Him. Friend, can I just ask a simple question? It's simple. It's simple. And I'm talking to everybody here that would tell me, that would stand up and say, Hey, I know Jesus Christ personally as my Lord and Savior. That you would say to me, Jay, there was a time in my life where I acknowledged my sin, that I needed a Savior, and I turned to Christ, trusted Him personally as my Lord and Savior. Let me ask you a question. Have there been times in your past where God seemed more real to you, that you were uh, more passionate in your love for the Lord? Have there been times... I mean, listen, don't say this out loud. Maybe, let me ask you this question. Sometimes these are rhetorical. Just get you to think. Where are you today? I, I know I get to going up here and I get to preaching and all the spit starts flowing and all this stuff. But can we just be really honest before God and one another in His house? Lord, help us. Are you as passionate for the Lord today as you were 10 years ago? Have things come into your walk that, that things have waned? I don't have to go back 10 years. I can go back 10 days. I can go back to last week or two weeks ago or two months ago. My point is this. If you would acknowledge that today, the good news, please hear me, is that God hasn't changed. If you'll return back to Him, turn back to Him, then He will turn to you. He will refresh and renew you in your walk with Him. The Scripture is true. I'm going to hang on to these promises. You can say, well, Pastor, I believe you're a little naive. I say, well, I am. 21st century, I know that. But I believe God is able to do more today than I could ever ask or imagine. I believe God is the same God that walked with Abraham. He walks with us today through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is present in our place this morning. Through the blood of Jesus, we can enter into the very throne room of heaven. Then we can call upon His name and He will answer us. How do we know that? Because God has said it in His Word. God help us. Deliver us from mindsets that are hindering us from living according to your Word. God set us free, Jesus, to love you with all our heart. Is that just some statement? No. God wants me and you to love him personally, passionately. To live out our faith in Christ, to the glory of God. Whether I'm working somewhere, working here at the house of the Lord, where I'm with my family, my friends, at the ballpark, doesn't matter. God. Set us free to love you, to serve you, to honor you, to revere your name. Why do we not experience renewal and revival? It's a great question. <clears throat> Why do we not? Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. This may be a sobering reality for some of us this morning. For we all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Friend, Jesus said it this way. Every misguided word that comes out of our mouth will be held accountable for. 
As a child of God, yes, you go to heaven through, through the blood of Jesus. But make no mistake, God holds us accountable for the life we live. Why do we not experience renewal? Revival maybe today like in days of old. Why do we not hear from the Lord? Maybe like how we hear. I think there's two things real simply. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us into that response. I think one of them is this, that, that the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord leads us to repentance. So why do we not experience renewal? I think oftentimes we really forget what it means to honor, to revere, to fear in the presence of God. In verse 11, Paul said, after just what I just read, since then we know, here it is, what it is to fear the Lord. Paul made it clear we're all going to be held accountable. What holds us to that place, to that standard, is that we're going to have to stand before the Lord one day and give an account of this life in which we live. The fear of God. And I, and I, I don't know what you even think about when I say that. I, there is one God, and we're not it. He alone is worthy, and friend, he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants to. And if I don't, have, he doesn't have to. He's not accountable to me or you. Throughout history, God's people that have a strong sense of fear and reverence for the Lord are revived and renewed in His presence. I said this earlier. It leads me to the second thing: the fear of the Lord leads us to repentance. I'm talking about God's people. Repentance is the key to returning back to the Lord. And experience renewal and revival in our relationship with Him. I, I, I just remind you, repentance is not a bad word. It's probably one of the most positive words you'll ever hear me preach, is repentance. Literally, it means to stop going in one direction. It literally means to turn around completely and heading in a different direction, the opposite way. Repentance involves a dramatic and decisive change of action. You cannot continue to do the same thing and be repentant before the Lord, child of God. The problem is, I think sometimes we think the word means it's a negative connotation. And, and I'm, and I'm going to tell you, I, I was, you know, Henry Blackley, some of y'all understand who I'm talking about. And some of y'all have been walking with me through this devotion this year. But it really, God really convicted my heart over this statement. He said, we, we, we all, he makes a statement, a generalization about the people of God today. He said, we recognize our sin. He said, when we recognize our sin, we prefer to, here it is, rededicate our lives instead of repenting of the sin in our life. Now, I, I say that it's a sobering reality. We may even tell others we have resolved to be more faithful to God than we were before we failed Him. Yet the Bible does not speak of rededication of oneself but speaks of repentance. Repentance in, it, it indicates a decisive change, not merely a wishful resolution. Now, this is a strong statement. We have not really repented if we continue in that sin. The word means to turn away. Now, let me help you some. Listen, please hear me. Because I don't know what you're living and what you're facing right here. But I'm going to tell you, in Jesus' name, you can turn away from whatever it is and turn to the one who loves you and gave his life for you. 
C.S. Lewis made a statement one time, the reason why we're so easily entangled in sin is because we have lost our love for something greater, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so what, what do I mean? In a very simple way. When we talk about repentance, turn away from that, but turn to your love for the Lord. I, I, I would submit to you revival happens when God's, God's people's hearts are full of praise unto the Lord. We're unashamed. Be like David, who danced before the procession. He, he, he said, I'm going to dance and I'm going to praise him. But, but, but his wife pulled him aside and said, David, you're the king. You can't do that. He said, look, I'll be even more undignified than this. Because there was a passion in his heart that said, I'm going to praise him no matter what. And I'm going to tell you, if you want, to, you want to turn away from sin, I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. You've got to turn to your passionate love for the Lord Jesus Christ. When, let, let me say it this way. Friend, hear me. When your love for the Lord overwhelms your heart, you don't want to go back to the crud that you were in. He satisfies in a way this stuff never, ever will. All right, so, so we're going to sing a song of response. So we're starting down this road of uh, renewal. Oh God, revive us. Maybe I should say the word again. Now that assumes that we need reviving. That assumes that we need times of refreshing. That assumes that we need a fresh walk with our Heavenly Father. That, that, that assumes a lot of things. And I'm bringing that to the table as your pastor. I'm believing in Jesus' name that we need. God is desiring for us, His people who call upon His name, to turn to Him and know Him personally, passionately, by the Spirit of the living God. There's a reason for this. We'll get to that later. But my question is, as we sing this song this morning, are you willing, are you willing to open up your heart to the Lord like the psalmist and say, search my heart, Lord. Is there anything offensive inside of me? If it is, repent, of, repent, turn away from it and turn back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just want to praise you this morning. God, I know it's a strong message. It's a strong message for me, Father. I believe it's your desire for your people who are called by your name to not just humble themselves and pray, but to be intimate with you. We can't be intimate with you and hang on to sin in our lives. God, would you renew us in this day? Would you enable? There are some folks in here today that need the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to turn away from whatever that crud is, that sin is, and turn to you in a fresh new way in Christ Jesus. God, I'm just going to ask on their behalf right now, Lord, that you would help us to repent, to turn to you, to trust you, to acknowledge you. God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me this morning, church. We're going to sing a song of response as God leads you.